1 John chapter 4, verse, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Hello. Yeah, great. Good morning, everyone. It is uh, great to be with you again this morning. And uh, if you don't me, know me, I am Rod. Uh, I'm the min one of the ministers at Wild Street up the road, uh, our sister church, and it's great to be with you this morning. I think the last time I was with you was actually uh, on... Uh, on your carols evening. I know that seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? But uh, what a great night that was and so encouraging to see so many people from our community uh, gathered together here. Well, thanks for joining us for church today and for our second talk in our series entitled Questions for God. Uh, can I say too, thanks to all those who have contributed questions uh, and I think it's probably fair for me to say that we are kind of prioritising the questions that have seemed to at least have come from people who are not yet believers or people who are investigating uh, the claims of the Bible in some way. And so our topic, as Tom has already uh, let us know this morning, is why can't we just agree that love is love? It's a big question. Let's uh, pray and ask God to help us as we look at it this morning. Our gracious God, we give you thanks that you are a God of love, a God who loves us, a God who has demonstrated that love in extraordinary ways. 
And so this morning, as we reflect on this question, we pray that you would help us to hear uh, what you have to say to us, that we would hear well the love that you have for us in Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, why can't we just agree that love is love? Uh, What is the concern behind that question? Uh, What does it mean to agree that love is love? Is there some disagreement over what love is? And and what do those who use that phrase actually mean by it? I'm guessing, and Tom has already referred to it really, that uh, most of you will know that that phrase, love is love, or sometimes the other way you might hear a similar thing put is equal love, uh, is a phrase that tries to encapsulate one of today's dominant social issues or movements. Uh, there actually is now a love is love movement. And can I, rather than me trying to define what it is, this is how they describe themselves. I think you'll see it there on the screen. They say this movement is about love, human love. Whether you identify as lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, asexual, non-sexual or straight, this movement was created to embrace and perpetuate that love. Our movement focuses on consensual relationships. We do not condone romantic relationships between adults and minors. Now, not so long ago, uh, the phrase love is love was used by the champions of same-sex marriage to say that they were fighting for equal love. But these days, I think that idea has broadened. It's not about the gender of the person at all. Uh, The sentiment is that you can be gay, bi, straight or whatever, and you should be able to pursue a sexual relationship, pursue marriage even. In other words, romantic love between any two individuals is equally valid and beautiful. Just as long as you're getting the love, affection and companionship that you need to be happy, uh, fulfilled emotionally and satisfied sexually, then love is love and it ought to be affirmed. And when someone makes the statement using the three words, love is love, then that actually should settle the matter. After all, how can you argue with someone else's choice to love? And, you know, when the argument is put that way, it's kind of hard to argue against, isn't it? Uh, Who stands against love? Especially as Christians, aren't we all about love? And I want to say a hearty yes to that. We are indeed all about love. But today, what we want to do is try and get behind the the rhetoric, the the clever words to see the confusion about love that this pithy phrase causes us. First, to say that love is love suggests that love is self-defining, that it actually uh, cannot be qualified, and it it just simply is. And that would make love uh, somehow... Uh, self-existence, somehow foundational, something like saying love is what it is and you cannot question it. It may be like saying ice cream is ice cream or cold is cold. That is, it actually doesn't tell you anything about what ice cream or cold is. To say that love is love actually tells us nothing about love. Now love of course is certainly a uh, primal and powerful reality but self-defining it isn't. Secondly, those who use the phrase love is love assume that the love that they are referring to is what is good. But good according to who or what? See, those who claim that love is love claim that uh, it's based on a person's genuine feelings. 
It's uh, the kind of love that is self-defined because they're the ones who know who they are and what will make them happy. It's a self-centred, a self-driven love that is unconcerned by the, the rightness or wrongness of their actions because it fulfills them. When, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Now, perhaps it's not uh, considered to even be a choice anyway. What about if I've fallen in love? Because that's kind of like an uncontrolled physical and emotional response to chemistry between two people that just happens. Is it, though? Are we just bound by that? You know, we all have disordered loves of some kind. Not all of them should be followed through on. And it seems to me as I, I read articles that push the love is love mantra, th those that are particularly, I think, the, the articles that are particularly related with the LGTB, LGBTQI plus movement, that most of the time, love is a strong feeling that is accompanied by a strong sexual attraction. And now that we're on the, side of the, the other side of legalising same-sex marriage, which we were told was the end game, we continue to see progression in the expression of what, it, what is acceptable love. Now, one significant move is the push, you may have heard, for monogamish marriages. It began, it seems at least, uh, with the idea that we should have marriages where it's actually okay to have a fling now and then. But from my recent reading, it appears to have progressed to a position where you don't just open yourself up to the odd fling, but you actually open up your marriage to experiment with different kinds and numbers of sexual encounters of, with either sex. Let your desires go where they will go as long as they're effortless and they bring you some sort of fulfilment. I mean, all this is to say that when people invoke the phrase, love is love, they're talking about romantic, emotional, sexually charged attraction that comes mysteriously and is really only love when it remains effortless. It's the love that says, I'm not thinking about giving to you. I'm not interested in committing to you until you give me something special. Be that a warm, fuzzy feeling or a great sexual experience. It's the love that comes before commitment. Is this the kind of love that is good and good for us? Is it good for marriage? Is this the love that is good for families to be built on? And so for societies to be built on around that? I want to say it's not. So what is love and who actually gets to decide? And here's what I, where I want to say that the Bible speaks with great clarity to this issue. I mean, as Christians, uh, the Bible is our standard here on what love is and what it isn't. The Bible is our standard on what is good and what is not good. The Bible is our standard on what is life-giving and what is life-taking. It's God's wisdom to us about the big moral questions of this world. You know, I know most people in the world don't turn to their Bibles today for answers, but followers of Jesus Christ do. It's God's word in the Bible that lights our path in the darkness and confusion of our world. And so the, the question I want us to look at today is what the Bible teaches us about love and relationships. Because the Bible is the, the one place that gives us a true definition of love. Now, biblically speaking, there's only one word that can be repeated with is in the middle, and that is God. See, only God is self-defining. Only God is self-existent, unqualified, beyond questioning. God is God. 
And that's true because God is the independent, eternal creator and sovereign ruler of all things. Whereas love is love is untrue because love is dependent. That is, it derives from something else and it's secondary. I mean, love must be defined and only God as creator has the right to do that. If what Christians believe is true, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, as the very first phrase of the Bible actually says, then we should reject the phrase, love is love, purely on logical grounds. Because love cannot define itself. Only its creator can do that. And God has done that in the passage that we read earlier. Now, if you've got your Bibles there, or I think you'll probably see it on the screen, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Let me just pick it up there for you. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We see that phrase repeated again over in verse 16 of chapter 4. Now, the Apostle John could have written, God is loving. This is really loud. Is that... No, that's all right. God is loving. But John didn't write that. He wrote, God is love. Uh, the theologian Emil Brunner said, it's the most daring statement that has ever been made in human language. See, God is not one example of love. He's not even the greatest example of love. He is love itself. And so therefore, every other love actually derives from him. I mean, in the Bible, the, the Lord... The love that God shows is primarily a love that follows commitment. So it's not that God kind of feels good about some personal people and then he does good to them. It's that God makes a commitment to a, a, a person or to people and then he follows through with doing good to them because of his promise to do so. What is love? Well, can I say that is an important question to ask because there are conflicting definitions in our world. Now, certainly much of it doesn't fit under what God tells us that love is. I mean, three times John writes, this is love. So see there in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or in chapter 5, next chapter, chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of or for God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome or again in john's second letter john 2 uh, chapter 1 verse 6 he writes this and this is love that we walk according to his commandments this is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in love notice there that love is defined in action that is god loved us so he sent his son we love God, so we obey his good commands. And you see, when, when God loves, he doesn't do it to get something. He actually gives of himself. He gives his very own son to those who are unworthy of his love. I mean, the reason he sent his son, Jesus, is to die on the cross in our place as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin. As Tom described, that's what propitiation is. And so this is the love that every single person on earth needs more than any other. 
Uh, have a quick, quick look with me at another passage. Uh, again, it's going to be on the screen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Here is why we need God's love. Here is why he sent Jesus. Uh, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, whether it's homosexuality or any other form of sexual immorality, they're just like any other sin that needs to be repented of and can be overcome by God's love and mercy. See, people who persist in rebellion against God will not go to heaven, the apostle says. People who persist in idolatry, people who persist in adultery, people who persist in drunkenness, people who persist in homosexuality will suffer the eternal judgment of God. See, the biggest problem with the love is love mantra is not that it's offensive to us, but that it's offensive to God. It's sinful. It's flagrant rejection of God's word and therefore of the God who loves us more than we fully understand. But this is not to single out any particular person or any kind of group especially because what, what, say, what uh, Paul is saying here is that we're all guilty of misdirected passions and loves in the wrong place. The Bible teaches us that every single one of us are totally depraved in action, in attitude, in desire. And so what those who have been sold the love is love mantra need most from Christians is simply to hear about Jesus and his love. Because Jesus actually has the power to make them right with God and to transform them into the people who have pure and good desires before God. See the end of that passage, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6? Here's how he finishes it off. And he says to them there, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, here is God's wonderful promise of transformed lives. And it's not saying that when you come to Jesus, you will never again struggle with certain sinful desires. But it reminds us that our identity isn't bound up in any of our natural inclinations. Our sexuality is not our identity, nor is any other struggle that we might have. I mean, I might be prone towards greed or laziness, but they're not my identity. Rather, through Jesus, what we read here is that I'm a new creation. My identity is as a child of God. I may still struggle with certain sinful desires, but I know I'm forgiven, washed clean, and I know that nothing beats serving Jesus. And I know I do a whole lot more good when I serve his desires and not my own. And so in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12 that we read earlier, it's clear that God defines for us what love is. Love is love is not love at all. In fact, saying love is love is actually just cheapens what true love is. But God shows us what love is by fulfilling his commitment to every person that he has ever made. He sends his son to save us from our, our biggest problem, from our sin. See, God's love is not self-centered or effortless love. It's painful, costly love. Love that cost him the life of his own son. 
And so it's the basis upon which we put our love into action. In fact, one writer said that love is to be the signature disposition of Jesus' disciples. Now, in Ephesians, uh, book of the New Testament, uh, that the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 2, we are urged as followers of Jesus to imitate the love of Jesus. He says there in verse 2 of chapter 5, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. But when it comes to putting love into action, God has created a diversity of expression, whether it's romantic love or uh, parental love, brotherly love, friend. The primary concern of the love is love movement is romantic love. I've just had the privilege of attending two Christian weddings that were just so uh, uplifting of the kind of love that God has designed for our great good. The vows were of genuine selfless love and commitment, of faithfulness and secure love for one another in obedience to God between one man and one woman for life. But I think it's fair to say that largely our society has lost the plot as to what romantic love and marriage is all about. Marriage has become a romantic act that expresses emotional connection in the here and the now, but doesn't have to mean that much in the long term. You know, I kind of think uh, Bruno Mars summed it up well in his song, Marry You. You might remember the song. Let me give you a quick reminder of the lyrics. He says, of course, it's a beautiful night. We're looking for something dumb to do. Hey, baby, I think I want to marry you. Is it the look in your eyes or is, this, is it this dancing juice? Who cares, baby? I think I want to marry you. I'll go get a ring, let the choir bell sing like, oh, I'm not going to sing. So what you want to do, let's just run, girl. If we wake up and you want to break up, that's cool. No, I won't blame you. It was fun, girl. You see, marriage the world's way is based on effortless, romantic, stupid love that comes and goes like a one-night stand. Whereas marriage God's way is about committing to someone of the opposite sex and then choosing to love them for the rest of their lives. And it's not about self-fulfillment, it's about God-fulfillment as we seek to have families and raise them in God's love and show, them Christ's love, show Christ's love to the world. It's not about my feelings now, it's about a decision and a, a commitment to serve for the good of the spouse and the good of the world. See, but our, our world has lost its way. And so that's why people go for things like de facto relationships. Love precedes commitment, so we want to see if we're really in love before we commit. But you see, that is not love according to God. That's not marriage according to God. And of course, most forms of love do not entail sexual intimacy at all. In fact, inappropriate sexual behaviour is not love, but selfishness. It's not seeking the approval of God or the good of the other person. Rather, it's seeking the gratification of its own desires. But if our love is to be genuine, then we must love everyone like Jesus has loved us. Now, I'm aware that these are issues for which, uh, which for some are real, very real, and very difficult. And for our LGBT plus friends and family, a desire to love them well a desire to support them appropriately is certainly good and God-honouring. And we ought to do that. And we need to show them that we speak the truth of God's word out of our genuine care 
and commitment to them, out of our love for them. So we need to love them like Jesus has loved us and laid down his life for us. Because as Christians, we, we believe that God created our world. And out of his character of love, he's given our world a particular nature and order. And yet more than that, we believe that there's actually an authority over our world. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, who rules our world in genuine love. And so consequently, the way that we live in this world is not just however we want. Rather, God has woven structures and values into our world, including sexuality and, and marriage, that are for our good. And if that's true, then we're not, we're not free just to kind of make up morality as we go along. The world is not just kind of like a piece of plasticine or a piece of clay that we can mould into any shape that we want to. It has a shape. It has a nature. And if we don't live in accordance with that then things won't go well. In fact, the tendency for us to reject God and make up the rules ourselves is exactly why the world is, is, it, is in the mess that it's in. And it's precisely why God sent his son into the world to die on a cross to redeem us from our tendency to make up our own rules. And that's why we're quite happy to talk about this because it goes to the whole way that we view reality. And if we love the world the way God loves the world, then we need to talk about Jesus and the love that he has for each one of us. And so if you're here today and you want to talk more about the things that you've heard here, please come and chat to someone. Come and chat with Tom. Uh, he would love to talk to you further about it. We would love to talk to you further about it. But if you've got questions, please feel free to ask them. Ask them to us because we, we have come to know and understand that God loves us, not because we're special. We are not in any way. We are sinners like the rest. But in God's love, in sending Jesus, we know the forgiveness that comes through him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you have not left us completely to our own devices, seeking to run our world our own way without thought of you. But thank you, Heavenly Father, that in your love for us, you not only demonstrate what love is, but you show us, Lord God, what it means to be loving. And so we thank you for your love and we thank you for your care and your forgiveness of us when we get it wrong. Thank you that you do not hold it against us. Thank you that you make us your children when we put our hope and trust in Jesus. And so we ask, Lord God, that you would be with us today as we consider and think further about these particular issues and that you would help us, Lord God, to seek the answers that we, we need to questions that we might have. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.